Welcome to the Starry Sky and Witchy Things podcast, your weekly study group about cosmic witchcraft. I'm not here to teach, just share what I love. I've studied witchcraft like it's my full-time job, and now you don't need to spend as much time and energy to get started. I'm known as Asteria in witchy circles. I'm a city girl, spiritual seeker, and start obsessed like I'm Natsuki Shinomiya in Utapri. Oh, just a warning, there would be loads of otaku references. I'm the one friends that people go to when they want to know whether they can blame a retrograde for their problems, or they can't make sense of their daily tarot card. And now I'm here to be that friend to you too. Thanks for tuning in. Enjoy today's episode and I look forward to connecting with you. Hello, hello. Welcome to the final episode of season one. And thank you for bearing with me with yet another delay. I was ill for a couple of days, as you may have guessed, given my voice was giving way towards the end of the last episode, so I didn't manage to record it yesterday to schedule for 7am today. Thankfully for my throat, which is still not great as you can hear, today it'll be a quick fire of questions about the series so far what to expect from season two, and then a self-love spell since it'll be Valentine's Day soon. Of course, if you have more questions, my inbox is still open for season two. So first question, can you share your quote-unquote manifestation hot takes? I could literally spend the whole day on this one, although I don't think they're that hot. Or maybe a best. People look at the law of attraction like it's ordering something on Amazon Prime to be delivered immediately for instant gratification. Then it doesn't work and they're like, all these gurus could talk about it, make money from telling people about it like a pyramid scheme. And sure, I bet there are charlatans out there making money from half-fat spiritual truth. Every field has them. That doesn't mean the law of attraction is BS, but it won't work if you are attaching your sense of self-worth to the result. It's only going to prove your own inadequacy, because if you think it's about positive thinking and lucky girl syndrome, then yes, it's BS. I may joke about Odin sending his ravens to look at my boobs, and honestly, they're always there if I'm changing. I swear, it's creepy at this point. But I don't believe in the supernatural or divinity in the way I was taught about to growing up Catholic. I do, however, believe that life has a way to walk itself out and I did a lot of work to get to the point where I feel safe with that kind of Taoist attitude of not trying to force things. A river flows downstream and won't try to climb back up to the source, but humans do that all the time. And though I've had my instances of manifestations happening before, 
and they were never million dollars coming to me out of thin air, but they all have one thing in common. I had let go of the expectations attached to the outcomes. I would have been okay if they didn't happen, and I wouldn't have felt inadequate or like I did something wrong. Neuroscience has proven that our brains work in a ways that support manifestation. We notice patterns of what we think about. If our thoughts and energy are directed to positivity and openness, we notice things that reinforce that. You can't think yourself out of hard stuff, and especially not things that are systemic to a world that's built for rich white men. But it can help you see things you wouldn't see if you are in an energy of focusing on the problem rather than solutions. It's the idea of thinking outside the box in problem solving applied to a larger scale. You can do things to help your brain get there if that doesn't come naturally to you. Witchcraft for me is about empowerment and as such manifestation is a double-edged sword. On the one hand, it's a lifestyle that encourages us to take responsibility for what we have the power to do and that I'm all in favour of that. On the other hand, it's easy for us to miss the point and fall into spiritual bypassing when at the end of the day a lot of it is hard ugly work of deconditioning our minds and our magnetism is in being unapologetically ourselves. And that's before we even looked at the societal structure that creates inequity and makes things harder on some people for reasons that should never be a reason for them not to thrive. Manifestation does not excuse us from doing the hard work on our collective too. I don't want to be a rich person who lives in a world where other people need charity to survive. I want to be a rich person in a world where everybody is enough because we have changed the way we think about society. Anyway, for me, the whole thing is 90% about stress management, but that kind of leads into another question, so I'll bring that one up. You talked about feminine energy in the moon episode. Can you talk more about that? This is another controversial topic, but as I mentioned, my philosophy of life is something close to what I understand are the principles of Taoism in my limited knowledge of it. I know that story about Confucius, the Buddha and Lao Tzu, and the reaction to the vinegar. So when I talk about how I lead my life in a more flowing feminine energy kind of way, what I mean is that I do as much as I can from an attitude of receiving and not pushing. That doesn't mean I don't take action or I'm not extremely ambitious. Anyone who knows me will tell you I'd compete against a wall. But I don't try to square a circle. I choose my battles wisely. If the piece of the puzzle doesn't fit, there isn't much I can do. I'm not a masochist, so I will not make an effort to sail against the wind if I can use it to drive me there faster and with less effort, even if the route is less direct. Why is this feminine energy? I'm not sure. An awful lot of our metaphors are about sets. You can fill in the blanks. Again, like for manifestation, it's a bit of a minefield talking about such things, but it's a commonly used way to refer to it, and I'm not going to try and start a new trend for a new name. But I do a lot of stuff in what would be a more masculine energy, especially in business, where I have to create containers in order for the flow to be more powerful. 
My goal as an intuitive business owner is to be able to tap into my intuition really quickly so I can tune into whatever energy serves me best at any particular time. In a way, even walking with astrology provides a structure that is masculine energy. Why do you disagree with the traditional tarot astrology correspondences? Because the Golden Dawn did the traditional British thing of making life needlessly complicated for God does know what reason. I have created my own system for the Major Arcana based on how I feel the energy of the specific cards and some of the cards would be transitional between signs. Since I got the invitation for my projected channels, here is my system. I'm no guru, as much as I joke about being in my teals one era, so take them with a grain of salt and maybe use them as food for your own thoughts on the subject. Or if you have a publishing house and want to offer me a book deal for a tarot book, as a result of my email is in the show notes. First, we have the Fool, which is the tension between Pisces and Aries. The idea of being pushed forward by a vision. And it can be a vision that makes absolutely zero sense to anybody. But that's the point of the Fool. That's the Pisces energy. And that is, brings the drive. Then the musician. Aries, but he holds the tension of all the elements, which I guess makes some sense as the ruler of the first house and the sign that holds together the zodiac. In the high priestess, we have the tension between Aries and Taurus. Sometimes our intuition is calling us to swift action, and sometimes we have a deep inner knowledge that we need to be patient and take our time getting there. The Empress and the Emperor, both Taurus, they're two sides of the same coin. One could be seen as more inward-looking Taurus energy, so the pleasure and the materiality, the love of the home, etc. While the other is the outward-looking aspect that we might see at work, where Taurus energy is more about the slow and steady growth and the wisdom of the earth element. The Hierophant, the tension between Taurus and Gemini, we have a card that is at its best about spirituality and tradition, Gemini is a curious sign and a learner, but not differential to authority and titles, even if not as rebellious as Aquarius. So to me, there's a feeling of thinking critically through the value and wisdom of what came before us, while keeping an open mind towards what needs to change. The lovers and the chariot, both Gemini, because both are cards of duality, which is a theme of Gemini. The lovers, taken literally, is about romantic relationships, so we can expand it to mean Gemini energy directed to people, and in a sense, inwards. While the charity is directed to things and artworks like the themes of technology and trade. Then strength, historically called fortitude, and the hermit, a cancer. First of all, I mentioned the historic name because to me, fortitude has more of a vibe of inner strength rather than physical. According to Eden Gray, the woman represents enlightenment and spiritual power, whereas the lion represents animal passions and earthly cravings. And I quite like this idea, except for the implication that spirituality needs to subdue the material passions. As I see strength, it looks more like those scenes of zookeeper cuddling big felines. And this strikes me that both characters in the card are symbols of strength. 
to me the meaning is that we can't have one without the other which fits with cancer because it's ruled by the moon which represents our emotions as for the hermit that's also about the link to our intuition and the need to tune out the noise and go inwards to move forwards which is a water theme wheel of fortune leo now this one may feel like you're only saying leo because you have no choice but i kind of see leo as overzama energy the wheel of fortune is a card of acceptance that things just are sometimes they are in our favor sometimes they are not and the wheel is always turning so things are always changing now you might see some flowy cancer energy in these but i'm looking at it from the perspective of the empowerment that comes from the acceptance of that truth it's the unwavering faith that life has a way of walking itself out and it will walk itself out for you not against you justice then is the tension between leo and virgo justice is a very virgo card in fact, a lot of the depiction of Virgo would have a hold the scales of justice, and the Greek goddess of justice, Astarea, was a virgin goddess. And it really makes sense if you think about it, because Virgo is a sign of being whole unto yourself, and justice is about being impartial, which you don't tend to be if you have a vested interest in one party over the other. I think it's still partly Leo energy, though because Leo as the sign ruled by the sun has that kingly vibe of righteousness following it. It's not just all about being in the spotlight. Then the hanged man, Virgo again, the theme of being whole unto yourself, which gives you this quiet confidence necessary to accept the fate of this card with the calm that it shows. There is also the whole service vibe of Virgo that does not sit well with my Virgo really. Anyway, death Libra. Libra is the son of equilibrium and death is the great equalizer. We all die. Transformation, which is the metaphorical death that this card is about, is also to me a Libra theme since change is inevitable in life too. Death also has a vibe of peace in my opinion. But I am a known angst queen who thrives on sadness and tragedy, so it might just be me. Temperance. A tension between Libra and Scorpio. Temperance has a similar theme to what I've just mentioned, but the reason why I see it as already moving into Scorpio is because a lot of this piece is internal and comes from acceptance of who we truly are, which is an underappreciated side of Scorpio. The sign gets a bad rap for being intense and all-powerful, but that all comes from mastery of an inner world that would scare off most. We faced our shadows and integrated them, and I think that's a key to temperance. The devil, Scorpio. The devil is about the material attachments that keep us in bondage, and how we can release them and find our freedom, or otherwise how we can alchemize them so that we can enjoy them without the addiction. And to me, those are quite obvious Scorpionic themes because it's again a matter of facing our shadows. The Tower, Sagittarius. Sagittarius is the sign that will watch the world burn like that girl in the meme with the building on fire behind her. But it's not out of callousness. Sag knows that sometimes expansion can only come by knocking down the old structures to build up the new. There is wisdom in the Tower 
is not destruction for the sake of hurting people. The star, Capricorn. The seagull is a sign that will do whatever it takes, no matter what, for a goal. The star is a card that's about rest and respite, which is something Capricorn really needs to learn, myself included. But the star is also a guide, and Capricorn does not swim the depths of the sea or climb to the top of a mountain for the sake of it. There is always a goal for the discipline, even if it's in its shadow frequency, it's to quell a sense of our own inadequacy. The moon, Aquarius. The moon is a card of shadows and delusions and things that aren't what they seem. And so much of the energy of air signs is around discernment. Aquarius is detached. So it can navigate the landscape without its mind jumping to emotional and fear-based conclusions. It perhaps doesn't really represent the rebelliousness of Aquarius, but really, if you are traveling anywhere by night, most people will think you're mad. So you are being a bit of a rebel. Then the sun is the tension between Aquarius and Pisces. The sun is a card of almost completion, with its theme of peace and enjoyment. It's almost like the Christian representation of heaven. The rhythm for the tension is found in Aquarius's more collective energy, which is also found in the tarot card. Being a card of completion, it's also moving towards Pisces, which is a sign of the liminal and wonders wings between really dark emotions and optimism that is almost irrational for a lack of a better world. Then the world, Pisces, the final card of the major arcana, already contains a bit of the seed of the net cycle and the reason why I think it has Pisces energy is that it's romantic and open to possibilities and the world is a card that really reminds me of the idea of non-duality. So this is my take, in my opinion it's a lot more straightforward than the Golden Dawn's choices. Of course for the minor account I just use the energy of the suit without connecting it to planets or anything in particular. So next question, what three books do you think every witch needs to read? This is such a hard question because I read so much it's hard to pick something of universal appeal. Lisa Lister's Witch for sure, especially if you identify as a woman. Then I'd say the beginner series on Wicca by Lisa Chamberlain because even if it approaches things from a religious perspective, so a lot may not apply to you if you aren't planning to be a Wiccan, it A, helps you get a better understanding of the difference between the religion and witchcraft ahead of any further research online where things often get mixed up, and B, it's still one of the most comprehensive accounts of all aspects of witchcraft. And I know that technically I kind of gave you 50 books, although... <laughs> If I need to pick one, maybe the more general and least Wiccan is Modern Witchcraft and Magic for Beginners, but I also have to add a history of early modern Europe, because if I hear one more myth about the witch hunts, I'm going to die. If it says Oxford or Cambridge and history or handbook or something else, and this costs a small fortune, it's a, a solid academic work. Oh my gosh, this one. How many times did you retake the History of the Tarot segment because you were laughing at the Visconti reference? I didn't actually, which will surprise you, 
but I did nearly say Lao Tzu as Lao Shu earlier, so the Pure Fury brand rot is alive and well. Now, on to the final spell of the season, and I'm not sure if I'm going to share more in the future since I get bored easily if I do the same thing too much. So maybe I'll try something else in season two. All you need for this spell is an object that you have access to easily. It could be a crystal, like a rose quartz, a symbolic of love, but it could be anything you have on hand that you can either hold or place somewhere you can see frequently. And a mirror. Bonus for a tea blend or herbs to make one that has correspondences of love, like rose, or you can just make a beverage you like, or none at all. The Puka Love is a good one if you're a chill witch like me, and just to clarify, I was not paid by them to say that. You can use candles and incense if you like. Pink is the traditional colour for love spells, but white is a catch-all, so don't worry a lot about it. I have pink ones because I have birthday candles for from the supermarket for spells. So that's my tip if you can do have small space and need short candles to sneak in a candle magic. I should have said that last week, shouldn't I? Anyway, if you are not making the tea, you can go straight into the spell. But if you are making the tea, it can be a good idea to start the brewing right after you center and open the circle, stating your intention that you are making the tea as an act of love to yourself. The point of the tea in this spell is to force you to slow down and enjoy something tangible and material for yourself. Something with a nice flavour and a nice smell that you can take in. For the spell itself, keep your chosen object somewhere you can touch it, or hold it if small enough, in front of the mirror. Look yourself in the eyes like you would your lover, because you are your lover, and tell yourself you love yourself. Or if that feels like too much of a lie and you're not there yet, that you are learning to love yourself, or you are willing to love yourself more. I don't like to prescribe spells word for word, because it's your life, your power, your intentions, so the words need to be yours and resonate with you. Transmit the energy of those words, which hopefully you will feel as a small warmth in your chest, into the object, either by visualizing it or scripting it, or if you believe in the physical energy, your touch will transfer it. And name the object as a symbol of this promise to yourself, like a wedding ring would be a symbol of the vows to a partner, and so on. You can close the circle in the usual way with gratitude for all the help that you called in, if any, or you can drink your tea ritually in the circle. Either way, the point is to do it mindfully and enjoying it with all the senses. If the circle was open somewhere that you can sit down and relax, then by all means close it and move to a better place for the tea ceremony. So, this is all for season one. I just wanted to spend a few words on what's coming next. I have some really exciting plans for season 2, so I'm going to go on a small hiatus and I'll be back on the first Thursday of every season and the new astrological year, which is March the 23rd. The season will be less didactical and we'll dive into topics to do with star magic and the cosmos and I'm looking to bring in exciting guests, so if you have suggestions my inbox is open and you're welcome to pitch yourself. You don't have to be an expert or anything either. I'd love to chat to fellow witches about the craft too. You can email me at starryskypodcast at gmail.com. 
In the meantime, I'll still be sending out my witchy musings for Pisces and Aries on the 21st of the month, and you can sign up for that at witchymusing.substack.com. That might be the best place to find me other than the Satswitches Discord server. I'm going to drop all links in the show notes anyway. I look forward to connecting with you in the next few weeks and then with season two. Until then, keep living in wonder. Thank you for listening to the Starry Sky and Witchy Things podcast. A huge thank you to Jenna Sword at Jenna S O A R D on Instagram for the cover art and Papa Planet for the music. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to be notified when a new one comes out, please subscribe on your platform of choice. And if you really love it, leave a five-star rating and review, which will help me be found by more people who will enjoy it too. Also, feel free to share it on social media and with anyone you think should give it a shot. You can send your questions and comments to my email starryskypodcast at gmail.com or on Instagram at starryskypodcast. And you can also subscribe to my monthly newsletter at witchymusings.substack.com where I share reflections and tips about the astrological seasons. Until next time!